You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Yeah, you guys can have a seat. Um, Man, it's so good to be together. It's been a long time coming, eh? And uh, yeah, yeah. We are so thankful to be here today. And man, I I was just struck as we were singing Ancient of Days in the midst of so much uncertainty that maybe is unprecedented for many in our lifetime. Um, And there's so much tension in so many different ways in our world right now that we worship a God who's the Ancient of Days and He is never changing. He's immutable. He's yesterday, today, and forever. And so our hope is truly in Him. And that's our point of orientation, right? That's our point of orientation. So let's keep worshiping, keep our eyes oriented on Him more than anything. Before we dive into our text for today, I want to acknowledge uh, a couple people who have put in a ton of work uh, to get us to be able to actually gather and that is James Davenport and Laurel Eccles. Um, they have, yeah, amen. They've done a ton of work um, to get us to where we can gather in some type of form. And um, so it's clear that they've put in a ton of work organizing this, communicating about this. And so I just want to publicly thank them um, for all that they've done. And so Justin and well, Justin, too, because you're married to Laurel, and you support her. Uh, James and, and Laurel, um, thank you. And, and Justin, thanks, too. You're, you're great. You're awesome. All right, if you have a Bible, um, open it up to Matthew chapter 13. And we are continuing to work our way through the book of Matthew. I'm going to be going on vacation here, uh, and so I'm going to be out of preaching for the next three weeks after this and feeling ready for a vacation, thankful for that. Um, and so James is going to preach two sermons, and um, Houston, our uh, pastoral resident, is going to preach as well. So we look forward to having some different voices up here, and so thankful for them uh, enabling myself to go on vacation. So I'm going to invite my wife up now, Kim, to read our scripture for today. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. This is the reading of God's word. Matthew 13, 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master came out of the house and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. 
Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us have ears to hear, eyes to see, that your word is worthy to be trusted, God, and that you would give us deep hope as we wait for you, um, deep hope by the power of your spirit working through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently I was chatting with a friend about a lot of the racial injustice that we're seeing in our culture and a lot of us are focusing on right now and kind of waking up to right now. And for me, it's been a few weeks of thinking about these issues. And at times, it's, it's felt kind of overwhelming to me. You know, I've been preaching on it the last two weeks and thinking about it a lot, losing some sleep, honestly, over it, just feeling some anxiety over it and just a weightiness to it, Right? And these issues run so deep in our culture. So I was talking to my friend about all these things. And as Christians, we know that these issues flow ultimately from the wickedness of, of the human heart, apart from the grace of God. Like, how do you take a person and treat them worse than an animal? How do we as a culture do that for centuries? And it's so heavy. Like, that's the darkness of the human heart. It's heavy. And, and I don't have the skills to manage that. I don't have the equipment to manage that. I don't have the ability to handle that. I can't control that. I can't make all problems find a resolution. All of this is, is over my head. It's over my head. Right? That, and that's not to say that I'm apathetic or that I'm calling you to be apathetic. There are things that we are called to do to be salt and light in our culture, right? But I'm just naming, and I was discussing with my friend, the enormity of this problem and how that can feel crushing at times if you're really thoughtful about it, right? I can't make this right. And so I said to my friend, does this ever make you think about and desire a final ultimate judgment like that? At some point, there's going to be a writing of the scales. Does that stir up a desire for ultimate final judgment? Like people who participated in brutal lynchings in the early 20th century. 
They string someone up, high-five each other, go back to their families for dinner, live the middle-class life, die of old age, and, and that's it? Like, really? Is that it? Like, that, that doesn't resonate with me. No justice is ever done. Is that the world we live in? Is there any sense whatsoever that that's satisfying? Like, do not all of our sufferings long for some type of ultimate resolution, that tension to find an ultimate resolution? Or is it just, you just die and that's it? And my friend said to me, she said, yeah, honestly, I just don't ever really think about that. Just, just don't think about it. And that was perplexing to me. Because I think about it all the time. The Bible talks about it a lot. And, and the technical term here is eschatology, okay? You'll see it in the scripture reading where it says the end of the age. That's what Jesus says, at the end of the age. And the theological term for that is eschatology, okay? Um, and among other things, this is, to say it in a fancy way, our eschatological hope. That there will be a final balancing of the scales. And if there is no final balancing of the scales, and you really know, and you really have seen the absolute wickedness that humanity is capable of in our world today and throughout all of human history... If there's no balancing the scales, man, like, I don't know how you sleep at night. I really don't. Like, do we need to list off the atrocities of just the last 100 years? And so many of these, there's a sense in which no justice has been done in terms of humans in this time, in this space right now. Nothing that's satisfying. Nothing that makes sense to our finite minds. It just seems like for some people, life sucks, and then you die. And the lights go out. Is that it? Is that really it? Like, let's say you were born a black slave in 1805. And you died in 1855 at the age of 50. Born a slave, died a slave. The sum total of your life was bent over a cotton field because someone said that you were not as valuable as another human being simply because of the color of your skin. 50 years on this planet, and that's all you get. Really? Like, what a horrible joke of our existence, if that's really what it is. How depressing is that, right? And without God somehow have something to say about what I just described, that's what we're left with. That's what we're left with. Like, don't we cry out for that slave master to be held accountable somehow? Don't our hearts cry out for some sort of ultimate justice, some sort of righting of the scales? I sleep well sometimes at night knowing that the final balancing the scales is not my job. I have no idea how this is all going to play out. But take heart this morning, Vine family. That is a biblical promise that it will be worked out. There will be a remaking of this world one day, and it will be free of all evil, injustice, pain, suffering, wickedness. 
And there will be an ultimate judgment beyond what our fallen world can administer. And we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know the details of it. We just know that it will happen. Because Jesus has promised it this morning, as we see in our word for today. And this is what we're going to look at today in Matthew 13. As we journey through the book of Matthew. So Jesus has been talking in parables, right? And last week we looked at Jesus' teaching about the message of the gospel. It lands on different people like a sower scatters out seeds and it lands different places, right? And sometimes the gospel produces fruit. Sometimes it does for those who have ears to hear. But for a variety of other reasons, sometimes it does not produce fruit. That was last week. But today we're going to look at a teaching. Here's a summary about how Satan resists God's work at every turn and he uses humans to do his work, but it will all come to an end someday. We wait and long for that end. Let me me summarize our, our text again for today. Today we have a teaching about how Satan resists God's work at every turn and he and Satan uses humans to do his work, but it will all come to an end someday. And we wait and long for that end. So let's just start to work through this text. And and Kim read the parable, starting in verse 24 through 30. But I'm this morning just going to focus on the explanation. So Jesus' explanation of this parable starts in verse 36. All right, so let's look at verse 36 and 37. And he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So a farmer goes and he sows seeds onto a field. Right? The point here is Jesus is saying, He's sending us into the world. You see that? The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. So God does the sowing or the sending, the the, the throwing out, the dispersing into the field, which is the world. And the seed is those who trust and treasure King Jesus. So if you're wondering about your identity as a Christian Here's where you can land the plane. You are one who is being sent. Okay? Christians are sent ones. He says, this is what Jesus said, as I have been sent, so I am sending you. Right? This is why we we say at the Vine that we're a spirit-filled family that seeks to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. That's just a a flowery way of saying, well, we are sent ones. We are sent ones. Sent into the world to make disciples, plant churches through, 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 through what we say we make disciples and we demonstrate that we're disciples by how we live. So this is what God has sowed into the field. This is God's plan for all of human history, that he would have a people and that he would have his presence with them And they would be gathered together 
and they would have a purposeful mission sent into the world, make disciples. But there's a problem. Look at the end of verse 38. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So Satan has people too. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So what I just articulated about God having a people in his place with his presence on a proactive mission will always have opposition. You see it from Genesis to Revelation. That always has opposition. And this is not human opposition, though it looks like it, ultimately. Now, there's primary, secondary, and we can think about different levels. But ultimately, primarily, this is the work of Satan, and he uses people. Ephesians 6 says it real clear. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when you see George Floyd murdered, there was a human being that was doing that. But ultimately, that's the work of Satan. He always comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So ultimately, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, that doesn't mean that we're apathetic about what flesh and blood may do in our world. But it does mean that we know how to pray first before we jump in and try to control the situation. So Jesus just says as a promise in his parable here that that as we go on mission as seed being scattered into the world to make disciples, plant churches, neighbors, nations, declaration, demonstration, as we do that, there's always going to be opposition. Promised satanic opposition. So that's a problem, right? Like that's not a, a, a very encouraging thought. But take heart, Jesus says, there is a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming. End of verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. So did you see that? The end of the age, eschatology the end of all human history. Jesus does not teach us about reincarnation or the cyclical nature of all of our existence. According to Jesus, our history is linear. There's a beginning and an end and then a re-beginning. At the end of the age, verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus says there is a harvest coming. This is the best news in the world or the worst news in the world. This is the best news in the world for those that love King Jesus, 
because our hearts cry out for justice. And here it is, Jesus says, that it will come. That day will come. The cop who killed George Floyd will either find justice at the cross of Jesus through repentance where the wrath of God is poured out in Jesus instead of on him. So that's one choice. Or the wrath of God and justice will be done on him in hell. But justice will be done. That's a promise. It will be done. It's just a matter of time. We don't have to question what it all means or how to make sense of it. Just know that it will be done. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Justice will be done. So what does that imply for us right now? Let me just summarize. God sends his people into the world to be on mission, to, make church, to, to plant churches and make disciples, neighbors, nations, declaration, demonstration. There's always going to be opposition to that. And at times that opposition is going to be extremely confusing, extremely painful. We don't know what the heck is going on. We can't make sense of it. But Jesus says, take heart. It will all be worked out one day at the harvest. It's just a matter of time. So what does that imply for us as his people right now? The thing that jumps off the page for me is that implies patience. Patience as a fruit of the Holy Spirit alive in us. What does Galatians 5 say? A fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Christianity, Jesus' worldview is a worldview of patience. He says the end of the age It's not going to all happen right now. So that implies patience. Christians are a people of patience. Let me give you an example. You can look at our garden in our backyard. My wife does an amazing job. I'm just the grunt labor builder, some boxes, and then she does the magical work. Well, God actually does it. But she is the one who uh, puts the effort in to do the magical work of seeds in the ground. Things grow big vegetable garden, three different raised beds. And you could imagine a three-year-old walking up to my wife and seeing where things are at right now with our garden, you know, late June, and saying, wow, there's some stuff there. Let's eat, the little child says. Let's pick the beginnings of these vegetables and have a little snack. And Kim would say to her, well, it's not time yet. It's looking good, but it's not time yet. It might seem like it's time yet. It's not time yet. And you can imagine the three-year-old, as three-year-olds do, lots of questions. Why? Why? And then Kim trying to explain to the three-year-old that patience is required before we harvest our vegetables, right? But the three-year-old's probably not going to understand the wisdom of waiting. I mean, I'm hungry now. The hunger pains are right now. And I'm seeing some, you know, a little fruit on the vine, to use a biblical term, or a little, little uh, sprout of a bean or something. Why not just go for it? The three-year-old's probably not going to understand if you really break down, like, how plants work and how things grow and 
It's just like, I'm feeling hungry, I see some food, let's eat it. So, like trying to explain complex things to a three-year-old. You can imagine Benny sitting down here right now, trying to explain our garden and why it's not time to have a little snack yet. That's not going to really compute, right? Well, I mean, he's above average, but I mean, <laughs> that's, that's not going to compute, right? The wisdom of waiting when it comes to a harvest. That's not going to compute to a three-year-old, especially a hungry one. And I think that might be a helpful illustration for how God relates to us. We look at the world and we go, God, don't you see what's happening? Right? Can't you see all these weeds growing everywhere? Feels crushing and smothering at times. How long, oh Lord? We feel the, the, the weight, the smothering weight of racial injustice. And, and the list goes on and on. Sex trafficking, child abuse, orphans needing parents, abuse of power in so many of our institutions in our world. The list goes on and on if you're, if you're watching, if you're reading. Lord, don't you see all the weeds? And, and, and we see signs of healthy growth all over the place too. Can't we just have the harvest now? I think God would come down on our level like a loving parent, like a loving mother to a three-year-old, and say, you just have to trust me that it's not time yet. I could explain it to you. I could try. But your brain isn't ready for that information. Like developmentally, the, the finite can't handle the infinite. You're just simply going to have to trust me. God knows that, he, that we can't handle his reasons. They're, they're too high for us. They're too deep for us. We can't swim at the deep end of his pool, right? We can't climb his mountain. That mountain's too high for us. But we can wait on the Lord. That's why the Bible emphasizes so often waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. What does that mean? That means patience, right? It means trust it means patience. It means putting our hope in God. Be still and know that I am God. Yet I will praise him. My hope is in the Lord. We have no idea why he doesn't come and just fix it all right now. Why the end of the age isn't right now. Why he doesn't obliterate those who sow evil and destruction. But according to Jesus, the patience of God has a purpose. The patience of God has a purpose. Now look at the analogy here. So the parable of the weeds, verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, look at verse 28. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. So we don't know what all that means. This is just Jesus painting a picture. It's an illustration. It's a parable. It's an analogy. But we do know from that verse that for some reason, the patience of God is for the blessing of his people. It's for their protection. 
You see that in 28? He's preserving his people somehow. He doesn't explain how it all works, just that it is. There's some type of preservation of God's people in his patience, in his waiting, that the end of the age is not right now. So we hold on in faith. We hold on in faith and trust that will not the God of all the earth do right. And let me give you one more. While we wait, what's our job? Our job is to simply be seed that is scattered, to be seed that is sent, to be seed that is planted in the good soil. If it's not time for the harvest, what is it time for? Hey, let's maximize some growth. Let's maximize some growth. And we can have a bigger harvest if we continue to plant before the appointed harvest. That's what the church is called to focus on. That's what the vine is called to focus on. Not accusing the Lord, Lord, your timing is horrible. Well, the reality is the Lord is not seeking my counsel. He hasn't hasn't called me into the, the conference room of heaven and said, Zach, what do you think? Like, that's not my job. The Lord doesn't ask me my counsel. My job is to focus and have ears to hear on our job. Be seed, be scattered, be sent, be planted in good soil. Our focus is the seed. Our focus is the sower. So let me just ask you this. How are we doing at that being our focus? In a world that's longing for final justice to be done, and it will be done, how are we doing at being planted and being scattered? How are we doing at pushing the message of the gospel forward in our world? That's what Jesus is saying. He's sowing us. There's going to be opposition. That's okay. Keep sowing. That's verse 37 and 38. Are we proving to be willing seed? Like, who are you intentional with for the sake of the gospel right now? Who are you intentional with for the sake of the gospel right now? Who do you know and love that doesn't know this truth? So we've talked a lot about the fact this morning that there will be a harvest. That's what Jesus said. That God is a God of justice. And he will bring in ultimate justice one day. The scales will be righted. We don't know how. We don't know when, we just know that it's a biblical fact. It's a promise. What does this have to do with the gospel? Well, for many of us, when we hear the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, laying down his life for sinners, what do we see? As we should see, we see the love of God. That's as biblical as it gets. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us. His love, it's demonstrated. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you see the cross, what should you see? You should see the love of God for you. He wants you. He knows you. He died for you. He calls you, right? So the cross of Christ equals the love of God. But some of us forget that the cross of Christ also equals the wrath of God, the justice of God. What does that mean? What that means is the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus 
in our place. This is why substitution is such a big deal in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it was animals. And, and then Jesus came. John the Baptist, what did he say about? He said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean? That means substitution. Salvation through substitution. So when Jesus is on that cross, it's the love of God, but it's also him bearing the wrath of God. Crucifixion is a wrathful thing. That's what our sin deserves. And Jesus bore that in our place as our substitute. So make no mistake, God is very serious about justice. He's very serious about love, and he's very serious about justice. But in the glory of God, in the mystery and the beauty and the wisdom of God, he made a way for justice to be done and for sinners to go free and be forgiven. Who would ever come up with that? Right? With news this amazing that God would forgive sins through the substitution of himself to bear his own wrath on himself. So he's still a God of justice. You can't say he's not a God of justice. And that at the same time, sinners can go free and feel the love of God as the substitute is given for them in their place. Only God would think of that. So come to this God this morning. He is just and the justifier of those who come to Jesus. If you want biblical evidence of this that I'm not going to spell out this morning, just look at the end of Romans chapter 3. God is just and the justifier. He's loving and he's very serious about justice. But if you come to Jesus this morning, know that there's no fear in judgment. You don't have to fear as you read this parable about the end of the age and the writing of the scales and a fiery furnace. Jesus went through the fiery furnace for you. So you don't have to. That crucifixion is a fiery furnace. It's horrible. It's gross. And that's what sin deserves. That's how serious our sin is. That's how serious an offense against the holy God is. And Jesus went through that fiery furnace of judgment for you. He bore the judgment of God on himself so you don't have to. So there's no fear. There's no fear now. He's pleased to show you mercy as the justice of God is absorbed in Jesus, in God himself. So finally, let me remind us of this. This news that we read about this morning in Jesus' parable, that there will be a riding of the scales, justice will be done, and there will be a separating of wheat from chaff or from weeds and wheat. This should never bring arrogance on the part of God's people. Like, it's so, we're so tempted these days to be like, well, those wicked people over there, I'd never do what they're doing. Like, it's good to be able to recognize wickedness. It's bad to have a sense of selfish superiority over those people. Okay? And we're all tempted to that real quick. Like, our righteous indignation can, can very quickly morph into prideful arrogance. And you don't even know what's happening. And that's a real danger for us. 
as we think about the fact that our hearts cry out for justice. Lord, there's so much wickedness in this world, but the gospel that I just declared to us, let that humble us. Let that humble us so that we see justice and love and then we can do the same thing. We hold out, yes, we need justice, there's wickedness here, but also because I'm a recipient of mercy, I can have a view of mercy. And I don't have to dehumanize those that are doing the dehumanizing. You with me? I don't have to launch insults on those that are doing the insulting. So just as God is a a God of justice and mercy, his people are people of justice and mercy. We recognize wickedness and evil, and we will not participate in it. We will not support it. But at the same time, because we've been shown so much mercy in the face of our own personal darkness and wickedness and evil that's alive in our own heart that we're all very aware of, we will not retaliate with those same things. And as we do that, the only way we can do that is because we know that this parable is true. That I'm not in charge of riding the scales. God's going to deal with that. So what did he say? Romans 12, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not our job. God's going to take care of it. Like it's, we, we read it right here this morning. We don't have to ride all the scales. That, that being said, we're going to get to work. We're going to do some things. But ultimately, our efforts will never be enough. We will ultimately need God, like the, like the black slaves saying, swing low, sweet chariot. Come, take us home. Like that's the longing of the Christian heart at a, at, at a certain point. Our efforts to make things right will always find a ceiling. That doesn't mean we don't do this. Let's do it. Let's do it, okay? But at a certain time, we're going to all read this parable and cry out, Lord, bring it. Lord, would you bring the end of the age? Because this, this world is so messed up. But Christians are people of justice and mercy, okay? God will one day do the condemning. That's not our job. Our job is this, Micah 6, 8. Do justly, love mercy, And walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you so much for how it pierces into our hearts with just beautiful reminders of who you are and who we are and what that means for us in the world today. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that you will make things right. May that enable us to sleep well. Not the sleep of apathy, but the sleep of, man, I'm tired from good works. And Lord, would you take these good works that you're doing through us by the power of your spirit, declaration, demonstration, and use it however you will. And we trust you with results and we wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen.